This is episode 64 with Jay Wong and me, your host. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hello, welcome to another episode of Crowdfunding Uncut. This is number 64, and I have a little bit of a confession to make. Every time I go traveling, I am really bad at lining up guests to have consistent interviews with. So I wanted to switch things up for you guys a bit this week to still make this episode killer content for you guys. This isn't one where I'm interviewing a guest. This is actually an interview that was done by my good friend, Jay Wong. Uh, So shout out to him. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know that he was a guest on my show and, and him and I go way back. And he was interviewing me for his podcast, The Interchange Maker. But we touched on so many amazing things that I don't think you guys know about. Or maybe if you're new to crowdfunding, uh, these are some lessons that you should really hear. But um, this is going to be a chance for you guys to not only learn more about me and how I got into crowdfunding and advising startups, but me in terms of what my exact experience has been on the campaigns that I've managed that have allowed me to have an average launch of $300,000 and some of the best practices. So um, it's super relevant and actionable to, to crowdfunding. And this is actually going to be a um, key episode that I recommend people listen to if they are not sure if crowdfunding is right for them and, and really how to get into it. So I give a really high level, but really in-depth um view of what are the most important takeaways from crowdfunding and things that you need to know as a creator before going into it. Um, And so I'm just so freaking excited for this episode. I I think it turned out really well, which is why I've uh, decided to repurpose this. So he's actually going to be publishing it on the Interchange Maker, but it's also going on mine. So just really excited. Let's just get to the interview. Kirsten, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. (laughs) we were just like it's funny because we wanted to start recording about 10 minutes ago but we just kept talking and we thought you know what why don't we just I guess start recording and just let you guys in on this yeah just just let you see a bit of what's going on and it's okay so let's let's at least build some context here right for as long as I'm me and you we go way way back way back um I, we used to like run these student uh, painting businesses. You were doing it a, a little longer, had a little more success with it. Uh, you have been like a digital nomad. You were living in like Southeast Asia and in the UK. We run Toronto Internet Marketers. By the way, we just passed 821 members. I don't know if you know that. Um, so that's exciting. And lately, in the last like year, year and a half, You've been this top authority kind of on, on crowdfunding, and you've raised over, I think, like well over a million. 1.1 last time we talked? Yeah, one point. Or I think it's 1.2 now. 1.2. It's going up. So for people that like, and this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about offline, right? People that look at all these kind of like results, they go, oh my God, you know, this is a person who's an overachiever, high performer. Or just crushing life. What really motivates you to go out and kick butt like that 
in the things that you do and get your butt kicked in that process? I think, because I've, I love psychoanalyzing myself and I get this question a lot, like what drives you? And there's a lot of things that drive me, but I think like ever since our student painting days, when we can see the leaderboard online for sales and who booked the most amount of work, I've always been driven by numbers because I look at if your numbers aren't that great, you've failed. If they're really good, then it's a success. And so one thing I love about crowdfunding is it's like it's do or die. Your numbers are public and people can see if you've hit your goal, it's been a successfully funded campaign. And if you don't, like it's there for the world to see. So I almost feel like I am really driven by big numbers and watching the sales climb because it's it's how my brain works. Like I'm very into sales and and results. So I know that, okay, if we do this, I can see that translate into direct ROI. And so that's why mm. like, I love the crowdfunding. Um, but one thing I, I love more than numbers, because that's just a vanity metric, is like I freaking love helping startups get online. Like I love taking a great product, helping them build an audience and see their success come in through validation that crowdfunding gives you because crowdfunding is not just about a raise. It's like if you have a physical product, you're making, you're creating a business online. And I love the, the, you know, the baby steps of walking someone through that and having a launch, which is a date you generally can't move and it's do or die. And there's, you know, thousands of dollars on the table and you just, it has to be done right. Um, so I love the high stakes. I love the launches. I love the building things. I love the working towards a certain point. Like that's what, like why I love the, like the framework of crowdfunding and like, there's some fantastic people I work with. So yeah. And yeah, you've been on some like amazing campaigns and I've like personally watched you. We've been, we've kind of had like the backseat to each other's journey in the last, you know, 12 months like it really hasn't been that that long um and i know we like lost touch you know for a while in, in between that time um from the student days to now um and it seems to me like you really you thrive under like that pressure and like, you come like ready to, to perform like when i think about you i think about you being able to achieve results like you were able to move it forward has it always been that way for you I think so. Like, if I don't have a deadline for something, I am a slob and I just sit on the couch and I do nothing. But if I, like, have to do something by a deadline, like, I, I have to do it. Um, that's kind of why I've decided to start training for an Ironman. Like, I've been drawn to fitness challenges like marathons and Tough Mudder and all that, but I will never do these if I don't just say, okay, you've been really lazy the last three months. It's time to get off your butt, off the couch, and go sign up for something. So I remember like Christmas last year, I was like, you know, you put on the five or 10 pounds from delicious Christmas dinner. And I'm like, man, I can't make myself go to the gym because the thing with the gym is it's just, they're, you're not building towards anything. Right. So I was like, okay, well, hey, why don't I just sign up for a half Ironman? Because that terrifies me. And so like 10 minutes later, I was sitting there staring at my computer like, you are insane. What are you But that next week, I got out and started training because it terrified me and I had a goal and I had a deadline. So, 
yeah, I think I know enough to know how my brain works to um, stop myself from being lethargic th with deadlines. Yeah. You know, let's, let's give, you know, let's bring this a, a little back. And, and first of all, I, I think I, we always talk about like Parkinson's law, right? Like uh, the goal will always fit the timeline. And so I love that, that you mentioned yeah. that because if there's no timeline, there's no kind of like, it almost seems like it's never going to happen, right? Um, so I love that you mentioned that. Let's give Chris Thompson here a bit of a shout out because um, he was one of the first guests, by the way, on the show, uh, like way back when, about a year a year ago. Um, talk to us about, so you kind of mentioned it already, but like that experience in terms of, you know, you're, you're managing the whole painting business. Like you, you, were, you weren't even like a, a business student, is that right? Yeah, I um, was a bored 17-year-old in biochemistry at the time. And I remember walking into that first information session where they basically said, you're going to be a glorified contractor. You're going to be given an area of Ottawa for the summer. And you have to find houses to paint through knocking on doors and doing quotes and selling homeowners to them bring in the painters and get them to paint. And here I thought, like, I'm not going to be sitting in a painting van for a summer. I'm way too cool for that. And it looks like a huge scam. And I ended up like looking into it, speaking to a few of the past operators. And then I was like, well, I've been doing retail jobs. I worked at a smoothie joint. Like nothing's really fulfilled me and challenged me. So like, why don't I just try this thing? So I took a chance and realized that I loved the sales and marketing. Once I figured it out, because like I, in my first year I was I hated sales so much, and it, I was actually one of the worst operators up until about three months into the program. It's a, what, eight-month program? So three to four months in, I had barely sold anything, and then finally something clicked, and I ended up that year being one of the top uh, two operators in first year. So ever since like I, I saw that at 18 years old, I was like, man, I really love business, and I love sales, and I love marketing, and I love building something. So like... I don't know. It's it taught me that I'm a natural entrepreneur. Mm. I guess if I could say, because I, I tried corporate and just nothing was as good as being able to basically say, okay, if I like, I need to make twenty grand this summer. How do I do it? And to look back and say, okay, well, I need to knock on this many doors. I need to have this many jobs painted. And I basically created my own income because it had a framework, and, and nothing gave me like my own business. Kirsten, can you tell us maybe about the transition of life after student works? Because I know you went into consulting. So how did you make that transition and how did you make that jump? Yeah, it's funny because that like from painting to consulting was like a multi-year process. Um, but the thing with student works is like I ran the painting. I was a franchisee for about three years. and once I graduated, um, they actually asked me to come on board and become a startup advisor. So that's where um, my role was to work across Canada, um, helping about 20 entrepreneurs each year uh, start. And I was working with students who generally had no business experience. And our job as a general manager or advisor is to bring them from zero to 60,000 minimum in revenue over a six month period. So okay, well. I learned how to consult through StudentWorks. Um, they gave me an amazing framework with its 
very much the same of what I'm doing with crowdfunding. You have a goal and you work backwards and figure out what you need to do to achieve that goal, assuming right product market fit factors. But um, I, that's how I learned. Wasn't freelance at the time, um, but once I, I was with Student Works for seven years, and I, after some traveling, because I was inspired by the four-hour work week, as many of us are. Um, <laughs> Shout out to I, yeah, amazing book. Um, I wanted to travel the world, and so after a stint working uh, and traveling in Southeast Asia and Australia for a year, I went to London for two years. And this is when I really wanted to be a good girl and work for a company and like sort my life out, have a regular paycheck and have a routine because I'd never experienced that with being an entrepreneur working 80 plus hours a week. Okay, what, what, so, what drew you to that? Like after like having so much, like, you know, going from, you didn't know anything about business and then, you know, doing you know, learning the ropes of sales and marketing, doing relatively well for yourself for a few years. Um, like what made you want to transition from out of entrepreneurship into maybe more of a normal quote unquote life? I think at the time I had no idea what kind of business I wanted to run. So I wanted to do what I thought people wanted me to do which was get a job right like at this point I wasn't a hundred percent convinced that I would be an entrepreneur for life but it wasn't until me actually turned corporate and realized how much I hated my life no matter how amazing the company was um, I realized that I couldn't cut it under someone else's than micromanagement that's what it was and like when I ended up quitting the job, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was in another country. I had some money in the bank. And the only thing I knew what to do is just throw myself into local entrepreneur networking to see what other people were doing. And I noticed a something I was doing in, at every event is I would be asking people what they're struggling with, and I would be giving advice. And people were actually listening to me. And this is when I realized, like, oh my God, what if I could get paid to give advice to startups? And then I thought, well, there's so many parallels between, like there's, it's not different to what I was doing with student works. So why can I not branch out and just give this a shot? So I ended up taking on uh, my first client, Jenna. So if you're listening, hey, she was a freelance PR uh, agent and within three months of working with me she had a full-time employee working with her so I like through trial and error I figured out I wanted to help people sell more stuff super vague but that's what I did and so <laughs> and I ended sales up, right yeah and it that's what happened so I ended up like working in that space with different startups for like a year and a half and, and yeah it was enough to pay the bills but it never took off I never felt like I really like I wanted to go online but I didn't know how to do it and everyone said you need to have a niche and I had no idea what mine should be so I just kind of was trying to be the one-man band and once I I moved back to Toronto early uh 2015 I think I don't even know 2015 yes yes yeah. 
time is just flying. Um, and I end up meeting um, the startup founder, Adam Pollan, with Thin Ice. And he had this great idea. And we ended up partnering up on a Kickstarter launch. And the rest is history. And so you might want to ask me a second question with that. So, Well, yeah. I mean, I want you to talk about, I know, <laughs> I mean, it's so funny because I know the story so well because I, I, I know what happened the first round and I know what happened the second round. Um, but, but before maybe we get into all the crowdfunding stuff, um, maybe this is just something I'm really, really curious because I get asked a lot about people that uh, they're just starting out and they themselves feel like they're not niching down. And of course, everybody, including us, everyone's like, well, you've got to niche down. Right? And before you kind of found this crowdfunding niche, you were, you know, you were just trying to serve your clients and figure out what, what they want. And crowdfunding just happened to be a thing that really gelled well with you. Um, do you have any kind of like advice or you, what's your perspective on people kind of in the beginning feeling obligated like they have to niche down and then by default they, they kind of get stuck in their own head, if, you, if that makes sense? Yeah. So I've been through this where, and I'm going to sound like everyone else out there when I say this, but I have a good reason. Um, I fought niching down, and I'm saying niche for the Americans that are listening and just thinking freaking Canadians. Um, but <laughs> I like, seriously, I fought it because I really, really thought that by me limiting my services to one thing that I would be limit limiting my income. But what ended up happening when I became crowdfunding only specialist is like, there's one word people associate with me, Kickstarter. So when you are speaking to somebody who has an amazing product and is looking at different funding options, Jay, you're probably going to say, I know someone who does Kickstarter. Let me introduce you. And you selecting a niche and having an amazing, like just having a great track record and being known for that one thing makes you the beacon for anyone to refer you because you are, you stand out as having that one service that you provide. So when I niched into crowdfunding, my, like with some, like after that first failure and then major success, like I became known for crowdfunding only and my business 10 X in six months from mm. what I was doing before. So it's like, oh my God, that was such a game changer for me. And so now the advice I give to anyone is like, well, I just have no idea because I'm a jack of all trades. How the heck am I supposed to pick my niche? Yeah. And I just say like, make something up. Like what is one thing you love helping people with? Like if you are trying to build a marketing cons uh, consultation agency, like do you really love Facebook ads? Do you really like social media? Like what is that one thing? And then even if you are just experimenting to see where you should go, you need to have a target when you are at a networking event and somebody asks what you do and what your specialty is. Because you can't just say, do everything. Like if, you're, if you say, yeah, I am killer at Facebook ads, then they just might have business for you. But it's a having a, a niche, even just making one up while you're figuring stuff out is going to tailor the conversation and have people take you more seriously when you know exactly what your business is about or even just make it up and say this is what it is. Like, for example, um, I found it really easy to get customers and get people to pay more attention to me, and this is before crowdfunding, but instead of when someone asks what are your rates, 
I used to say, oh, okay, well, it depends on what you need, so let me ask you a 50,000 questions. Right. No, it's more like the, I have two packages. One is a three-month where I work with you intensive to grow your scale, sales from X to X. That's one package. Or the second package is co-founder role where I do blah, blah, blah. Like, mm. if you just make up some details about your business, you can always pivot, but it steers the conversation and people take you more seriously. So don't just be stuck because you don't have a niche. I think part of it is going out and talking to people and figuring out what really resonates with them and resonates with you. Mm. Actually, I think that was really well put together. Even though you're, you know, I, I know you kind of said in the beginning that a lot of people say that. Um, it's, it, it is so hard, you know, for a lot of people to kind of wrap their heads around it. But um, I, I love that you put that emphasis on, like, you got to go out there and, like, just build these packages and, and then pivot if, if it doesn't work. Before we move on to the next question, I just want to take a minute and thank BaggerKit for sponsoring this episode. Um, if you guys are in the middle of planning your crowdfunding campaign and you're wondering how the heck you're going to organize thousands of customer addresses, deal with surveys, color selections, sizes, upsells, all that stuff. They've made the process easy for you. And you can head over to backerkit.com. Um, but remember, there is a link in the show notes that if you use it, it does give you 50% off of their setup fee, saving you more than $150, which is awesome. And they've helped more than 2,000 project creators deliver products and digital packages to more than three and a half million backers. So they're one of the leading guys in the industry for this. Be sure to check them out. Um, tell us about those, that failure and, and, and that, like, so that whole crowdfunding first round. Like you mentioned one round was a failure, one round was a success. Um, what was maybe the biggest differentiator from round one to round two? Yeah, I mean, the just for the audience who doesn't know, like, that first campaign uh, was for a wearable vest that helps you lose a wearable. Oh God, of course a vest is wearable. I always butcher this. Um, <laughs> wearable tech that helps you lose weight. And that I knew nothing about Kickstarter going into it. And we just made all the rookie mistakes. We like, we end up setting a goal of $50,000 that we wanted to use to develop the prototype and bring it to manufacturing. Um, and we ended up like launching to nobody. Um, that first day we raised $1,000. We ended up only Ooh. raising 17000 in the 30-day campaign. So it was a failure. And we were because we had chosen a certain kind of funding on Indiegogo where it's flexible, which means you can keep all the money you raise, um, we were stuck with seventeen k of customer money and no way, like we couldn't do anything with it. And... Of course, angel investors are looking at you like, okay, this was a failure. Why am I going to give you my money? So two choices, give back the money or try to relaunch another campaign or find other funds. And we decided to relaunch because after speaking with several people, we knew where we went wrong. And so we ended up relaunching that campaign two months later and we did 600000 with it. And the biggest difference – and like – what I learned, just to emphasize how important this was, and yes, I did feel like it was a fluke until I went on to a few other campaigns, but I've managed two other campaigns past that, and one has done 350000 the other has done 320000 And Ooh. the emphasis that we made with 
both all three of those campaigns were a fast start out of the gates. So the thing that each of those campaigns have in common is we raised $100,000 in the first eight days or less. So you can only do that by, wait for it, this is the one thing we learned, is that you need to have an audience to launch to. Because if you don't, here's how it works. Um, Jay, have you ever, you probably know this, but just say no. Have you ever heard of the popular, <laughs> well, just lie to everyone. Um, um, no. Um, Please, popularity algorithm? Popularity, no, that sounds complex and, and difficult. You haven't sat through any of my crowdfunding work. No. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Please tell us what is this popularity algorithm, because I'm sure not everybody has heard of this. No. it's So with any, um, the way Kickstarter works, it's a marketplace. So you as the creator will put up a marketing campaign to raise money for your product or your cause. And it matches it to customers, also known as your backers. So people will basically see your your product, love it, and then give you money um, in the form of a, a pre-order, essentially. So they give you money, and then you deliver the product six or nine months later. That's how it works, generally. Right. And so Kickstarter and Indiegogo take a commission to do this. It's generally 5%, and it's a like a matchmaking fee. So for every dollar you raise on their platform, they uh, will take a 5% commission. So when you browse Kickstarter, you're going to see a few popular sections like their Discover section, New and Noteworthy, or in each category, they'll put emphasis on um, campaigns that are doing really well. So to get into those, you would assume that the campaigns that are in the popular sections are doing really well because Kickstarter is a business. They are going to make campaigns that are making them a lot of money, they're going to make them more discoverable so that the creator makes more money and they make more money. So what the popularity algorithm is a way for them to identify which campaigns are going to be hot and and be more discoverable on the platform. Mm. So the mistake that creators are going to make if they do no research, even five minutes of research online. Um, makes a world of difference. Yeah, they're just going to see Kickstarter and think, wow, there are thousands of people browsing this website. I don't need my own audience because Kickstarter has their own audience. Mm, yeah. And so they launch and wonder why nobody has purchased anything. And that's because they've misunderstood or don't understand the, the crowdfunding community. You cannot launch with no audience. The, your audience is there to make you discoverable on Kickstarter. So when you... Just say you have an audience of 5,000 email addresses and they're so excited for when you launch and you launch and all of a sudden you email your list and you're like, hey guys, we have early bird specials on for the first 250 people who buy this. It's like 40% off. Let's go and do it. And that your audience is going to give you a huge spike of sales. And um, I believe the stat is if you raise about 30% of your goal in the first 72 hours, then you are m about 95% chance of being successful. And so what's going to happen is when you raise a huge chunk of your goal right out of the gates, Kickstarter is going to pick your campaign up as being really hot. And they're going to boost it. And when you get boosted on site, you all of a sudden become top of category, discover, or whatever. And when you do that, that is when you become visible to the crowdfunding community. And that's when all more people are going to jump on board because they see that it's something really cool and hot. 
And that's when your campaign gets that snowball effect to help you continue to get funded. Do you want to do a mic drop after this? Or? <laughs> that was the fact pretty... that I could breathe so... after that. <laughs> no, that was that was a lot, but I think you're 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 so spot on, right? Because it's about leveraging, you know, to tap into all those people that are browsing on this beautiful website or that have bought before. You really need to have that audience beforehand that really help you kind of boost it and, and leverage it properly. Um, and, and that's just amazing to have that understanding um, because as me and you both have talked about this before, it's the same thing for people launching podcasts. It's very similar if you want to launch a book on Amazon, um, even if you want to have a successful Facebook post, right? Or Facebook Live, right? Like all these different posts that you have like 500, 600 likes or whatever, um, you know, it's not because 500, 600 people like it all at the same time, right? It's because you got a lot of traction right in, I don't know, I don't know what Facebook is, but maybe in that first half an hour, right? And yeah. uh, because of that, it just kept popping up. So I, I'm so glad that you, you do bring that up. Um, question to that, though, is that a lot of people, once they understand popularity algorithm, then they think, oh, okay, I have to build a bit of an audience. Um, but let's say I just get a bunch of my friends to you know, help support this. Like, am I not just gaming the system? I don't know if you've heard this kind of before. What would yep. be maybe your perspective uh, or how would you kind of address that? Yeah, so one thing you can do is you can self-fund, which I do not recommend this. Uh, self-funding means that you just dump your own money into the campaign to be picked up on site. The problem with you not having real customers or like, like people in your network that support you, you want them to be supporting you because they really want to help you and they love what you're doing. Like they love your product. Mm. So if you, if you game the system where you're like, I'm just going to dump in a bunch of money or, you know, give a hundred dollars to each of my friends to put in, sure. what yeah. you're not doing is you're not validating whether this is something that people actually want. Love That's it. the problem. So I mean, a lot of what I do, like as a consultant, a huge chunk of my compensation is based on the raise. So I make no money uh, if the campaign isn't successful. I make a little bit, but it's, if it's not successful. So what I end up doing with clients is I get them to validate the hell out of their biz, uh, out of their product until like before they even crowdfund just to make sure they're not spending thousands of dollars for a product that nobody wants. But you don't know if there's a problem with your campaign if you game the system. Because you, you don't know what your conversions are between how many people see your page to transactions. You don't see, like, you just don't see any problems, right? Yeah. So. No, I, I'm super glad. I mean, that, that was a, an amazing answer because so many people miss that, right? Whether they're launching courses or they're just, you know, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get to that spot where they have a successful X or whatever, whatever it is, but because there's no, they're like, oh, well, people told me it was a good idea. Well, you know, there's, there's a bunch of things that I can't think of right now, but it pretty much is like, you need them to validate with their wallet to, to, to a big extent, because if they're willing to part with it and, and there's that value there, then you can in turn go make the product, you know, the 2.0, 3.0 version that then gets shipped out or gets delivered to, to your audience. Exactly. And I'm even seeing like, well, speaking to some startup creators, I see people actually um, 
developing a working prototype and actually manufacturing like 10 or 20 units as a beta test, selling those, getting real customers to play with it, see what the problems are, work it out, and then what they will do is crowdfund for version 2.0 with a great product so you're not dealing with a lot of the hassles that come with creating a first-time product. Yeah. No, that's uh, that, that was like an intensive crash course on crowdfunding, and if people are mega interested and want to break that down, I'd heavily recommend listening to the last like 15 minutes all over again, um, because because you know that was that was a super super thorough breakdown in, in a very short period. Um, I know you're running your business; you're just crushing. You're, you know, we're we're both chatting about this offline, but you know we're both running. There's momentum going. It's exciting. It's scary. It's all these different all these different things. Um, is crowdfunding, is your business, is that part of the legacy that you envision for yourself? Like, what, what's Kirsten's Ross legacy at the end of the day? I think, I don't know what crowdfunding is going to be in two years. But it is my thing right now, and I love it. Um, I could see what I, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in 10 years, but I can tell you I'm going to be. Like, I want to be an influencer in the startup space. Like, I don't see myself as just an aspiring internet marketer where all I'm going to be doing is creating courses. Like, I want to be on an angel investor in some great companies that I believe in, and I want to have a personal brand. Um, just to be able to help people on a larger scale, like, that's really where I'm going with this. And crowdfunding is a really great uh, platform to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're, you're seeing some great traction with it and you've had some amazing results with it. But I think even, I don't know, maybe just kind of challenging you a bit as a friend and someone who's on my show, you know, you've, you've gotten really good at doing all those things and getting great traction and results with it, right? And Aww, thank you. At, the end, at the end of the day, I mentioned it in the beginning, but like results is what speaks, right? Execution is the game. We both know this. It's not, you know, uh, about the content. So maybe something yeah. to think about, um, you know, whether crowdfunding is around or you, you know, you're the person to do it. But definitely, you know, I know the work that you've been doing uh, with crowdfunding. So you know, that's really awesome. Um, I do have a last question here for you. It's something I ask actually to every guest. Um, okay. And you know, the show is called the Interchange Maker, and I want to see what comes in mind for you. Like, what's your definition of the word change? Oh man, uh, change maker for me is the. Oh, this is gonna sound really textbook, but I think is the ability to make lasting change with whatever it is that you're trying to do with your life, or if helping other people, like not just going for the quick gimmicks, but like really learning and figuring out how to do that thing that you really want to do. If it's take your life to the next level, if it's quit drinking, if it's like get in more shape, like it's figuring, like committing to that thing that you really want to change and how you want your life to be and taking massive action to achieve that. That was like pretty much a, a personal development course all right there, right? Ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> um, Kirsten, that is awesome. Thank you for giving us a bit of perspective 
in terms of your world and where you're coming from. Um, you know, in terms of crowdfunding, if people want to maybe follow you, you know, as you're building up your personal brand, uh, if they want to kind of socially stalk you, where do they go for that? And if they, people want to find out more about crowdfunding, where do they go for that? Yeah, well, my home online is crowdfundinguncut.com. Um, if you are currently planning a campaign, I do have a freebie on site, which is the product launch checklist. So it's it maps out timelines, what you need to be focused on six months out, including how to have like a killer launch week, um, just so you don't miss anything. So you can pick that up, uh, crowdfundinguncut.com. And I am fairly good at getting back to people on Twitter. Um, I'm trying not to get into my inbox because that's been a huge time suck against some creative projects that I've been moving forward. Uh, so Twitter is just at Kirsten Ross. Probably best you write that down because my name is impossible to spell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will link everything in the show notes and I'll spell your name properly um, because we're friends. Um, and uh, but Kirsten, thank you so much for spending some time with us. If you guys enjoyed the episode, make sure to let us know it's hashtag, or you could, you know, let me know on Twitter, uh, at Jay Long, um, and at Kirsten Ross. Um, Kirsten, thank you once again. Yeah, cheers. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that fun? I thought so. I always love talking to that guy. We, I keep telling him that him and I should really be uh, recording the conversations that we have every single week and doing another podcast, but it just seems like it would be a lot of work on top of everything else we're juggling. But uh, him and I just, we can't stop talking. And you can just tell that um, it was just like great conversation. And anyways, guys, if you listen to this, you're into crowdfunding, you are launching a campaign or want to learn more, go to crowdfundinguncut.com. It's where I have the product launch checklist available for download. So it's a maps out a whole timeline around your launch and what you should be doing and what is involved in a launch. So you can see kind of, you know, if you're curious, get into that world a little bit. So again, uh, crowdfundinguncut.com, product launch checklist, you will find it. It's advertised all over the website. And as always, I love you guys. Um, if you find this content super valuable, I'd love it if you could go to the show notes and go to iTunes and either subscribe if you haven't already and leave us an honest review of the show. Uh, leaving reviews help us get found by more listeners and I do this podcast so that we can really deconstruct what goes into a crowdfunding campaign and hopefully reduce the number of emails I get once campaigns have failed and they don't understand why. So um, thanks so much and really looking forward to next week. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.